mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, as we go through the gospel according to John, John, of course, meaning the gracious gift of God, we have begun in Jesus' ministry, and we've seen him choose or five different witnesses begin to follow him. And last week, as we closed, we seen... Um, Philip, he found Philip, he said in 43, the following day, uh, Jesus went to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said, follow me. And then Philip, as soon as he finds him and begins to follow, he goes and gets Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel's name means gift of God. And that's very interesting. I love to look at the names. And if you looked in John 21, 2, you'd find out that Nathaniel is from Cana of Galilee. That's where he's at. And Cana is about five miles uh, away from Nazareth, where Jesus was from. And um, so when Jesus goes to uh, Cana, that's when he meets Philip and then picks up Nathaniel. And, of course, they've already got these other ones. There's one that's not named. And then there's uh, Peter and Andrew. So um, the one that's not named is probably our author, John. And so we get over to chapter 2. And then we open with this. And let's just open and read. Uh, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. When the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This is 
excuse me, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. Teach us here this morning by the power of your spirit and help us to grow and to go and tell others of your great grace and your great mercy. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. On the third day, John 2, 1, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Listen, all of Christianity is really about a marriage. Our kinsman redeemer came and became flesh. And when you believe in him, you become the bride of Christ. And now you become betrothed to him. And you are getting ready now for your wedding, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And you're going to be going to that wedding supper of the Lamb if you begin following him now. You should be in the way with him all the rest of your life so that we can get to that place of a wedding. And I want to try to bring this out as we also look at this first sign is what it's called in the New King James, Miracle King James. And, and really it's called a sign and it can be translated that way because it shows us something far more important than just the miracle, the supernatural. It shows us that Jesus is God. It gives us a sign. It tells us more about him than just being a prophet indeed, but that he is God in the flesh with us. And it's interesting that the first institution that God created in the Bible is marriage. Back in Genesis, when he's seen that it wasn't good for man to be alone, and he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and out of his sight he took a woman. And with that first act, he created the institution of marriage. And then in the beginning of his ministry, he's 30 years old now, he's going to begin his itinerant ministry for three plus years, three and a half years, where he'll, at the end of it, he will, he will be arrested, betrayed, mocked, spit on, beaten, crucified. He will die. He will be in the grave for three days. Again, the third day. And then he will raise again in resurrection, um, and really proving that uh, he was the Messiah, informing us that he was the Messiah, Romans 1.4 tells us. That's the evidence uh, that he's the Messiah. And so it's at a wedding. And then the final act of everything will be at a wedding, the wedding supper of the Lamb. The wedding supper of the Lamb. So we want to see that not only are we supposed to be married in this life, go and, and, and uh, there's some that's not called, there's some eunuchs, but go and populate the earth. So we're supposed to find a spouse. God has a spouse for us. We're supposed to be married. We're supposed to have children. We're supposed to uh, reap or train them in the way that they're supposed to go. But at the same time, that's only a physical picture of our spiritual betrothal and marriage to God to be welcomed back into the family of God. See, we lost uh, our relationship with God in the first Adam, Adam and Eve. Adam sinned. He allowed his wife to have a conversation and listen to the voice of the devil and commit original sin. And then he followed her. 
He allowed her to be the leader when he was supposed to be the head. And he followed the woman instead of the woman following him. And so then we have the second Adam in marriage, Jesus the Christ coming. And he becomes the head of the church. He becomes our groom. And the woman, the church, the bride that's betrothed to him is supposed to follow him. And that's the way you're going to get to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's just look at Revelation 19 and uh, let's see what it says. Revelation 19, beginning in 1. And, and, and you're going to see this. I'm going to try to let you know at the same time what is going on on the planet right now. Which we'll read about hopefully at the end. We closed last week with it. It's Daniel 7. Verse 23 and following tells us about the beast, the fourth, the fourth kingdom that's going to rise, iron and clay. It's going to rule by force, but it's going to be more fragile than any other, and God's going to destroy it, and it's all going to end up over to the saints and his kingdom forever and ever. So listen, verse 1, Revelation 19, and these things I heard, a loud voice, this is John, our author, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he's in a vision in heaven on the Lord's day. And it says, In these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God, omnipotent, reigns. Omnipotent, omnipotent. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, honor, power, praise, worship, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. Are you making yourself ready? The bride of Christ that's betrothed to him. Verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Of the saints. Excuse me. This, the righteous acts. Are, righteousness is a big fancy word that means right living before God. It means learning to obey, learning to follow, learning to do what he says to do. We're going to see that in our text today. And then verse 9, Then he said to me, write, this is what he told John to write down, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Notice the brethren have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus 
is the spirit of prophecy or foretelling. Testimony of Jesus is foretelling the truth of the word of God. That's what prophecy means. It's foretelling what God has already shown us in the scriptures. Now, I just wanted you to see, I wanted you to see the final wedding, the final marriage, the final marriage, the betrothal is what we have right now when you believe, but you can believe and never follow. Listen, we're going to look at that here in a minute, too. I want you to, to I, I don't want to lose you because there's a couple things going on here. They're at a real wedding in Cana of Galilee. Cana means reed, place of reeds. Galilee means heathen circle. Jesus said in Matthew, this is important. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break. And a flickering wick he will not extinguish until his, he sends forth justice and victory. What are you talking about? Well, see, we're bruised reeds. We're, we, we, we could be completely destroyed. We're bruised. We're damaged. We're born dead, born in sin. And instead of hurting us, he wants to stand us back up again. He wants, he wants us to come to the wedding. And he wants to make all things new. And sometimes we just got a little flickering wick. We just got just a little bit of fire going on in our life where we're living for him. And he says, I will not extinguish it. I want to put out your fire. I want to repair you and make you a strong reed, a reed that he, like he uses to cleanse the temple, our next text. And then I want to make your fire burn bright. I want to burn out the dross and make you look like me and be one of my children and be the bride that is adorned, waiting and ready for this marriage supper. And, and I'm not going to harm you until judgment day, is what he says, until he brings, uh, until he sends forth justice to victory. I mean, one day there's going to be complete justice. I mean, he's already com- accomplished victory on the cross. He doesn't want to hurt us. He's for us. He loves us. But you can't do it your own way. You have to learn to listen because we are betrothed to him. So we have to follow our husbandmen. We have to follow the head. We have to follow the one that's been sent to save us and lead us out of this darkness, lead us out of this spiritual realm into his presence in heaven. That's the only way to get there. There's no other way to get there. No other way. You have to listen to his voice, his word his truth, and follow to be led out of here. He is the gate. That's how we closed last week. He is the ladder. He's the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. Now, back in our text, and I'm going to read a couple other texts, so just kind of bear with me. It's the third day. Notice yesterday when we was in our other text, it was actually the third day, but they didn't say that. They purposely want us to see that without the resurrection on the third day, there can be no wedding. Without him resurrecting the third day, there can be no wedding because there had to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. There had to be a perfect life. God had to come to earth and become our kinsman redeemer according to the law. And he had, by the sinless life, he had the power and the blood and the, and the sinless uh, life to buy us back from death. And now when we say, I do, wedding ceremony, I do, I believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that's Romans 10, 9, and 10. So we're at this wedding, this marriage 
uh, uh, in Cana of Galilee. Now, I just tell you, there's a really good little documentary film out there called Before the Wrath. I don't agree with everything that the guys say, but if you want to find a really good uh, uh, documentary on a Galilean wedding, which parallels the church perfectly, go watch that video. I'm not going to try to reteach it. It's already out there. You can find it if you're really concerned about what it looks like to be the bride of Christ and those things that are going on and how it lines up perfectly with the culture of his people that he came to save who rejected him. Look for, uh, I think it's even on Netflix maybe, but I don't have Netflix, but I think it's on there, somebody said. Um, it's called Before the Wrath, and it's, it's, it's just coming to be known uh, that, that they found some manuscripts about how a Galilean wedding was different than all the other weddings of Israel. So it's very important to know that. And so they're in Cana of Galilee, Nathaniel, the gift of God's hometown, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, know what's your mother's name? Mary. Mary means their rebellion. Their rebellion was there because we are not saved because we have gotten rid of our rebellion. We're saved because he paid for our rebellion. And so we need to begin to listen and be washed and cleansed and walk away from our rebellious hearts and live in the newness of life because we have a new covenant with God, a new way, a new hope. And so we are, are, are still rebellious. I don't know about you, but I can, I, could, I can talk about our rebellion a little bit if you'd like, but I, I digress. See, because positionally we're perfected. Positionally we're just as if we never sinned. But practically we still carry this old body, this old body of sin around with us. And, and we're wretched and we're wrong and we can quickly, if we don't listen to God and kick the old man in the face and put him back in the grave, we can quickly become the old man or the old woman really, really fast. But we're learning to deny self, take up our cross, that's death, daily, and follow Jesus. Why? Because he's the head, because he's the groom, because he's the one leading us out. So we have to say no to self and yes to him. And as we say no to self and yes to him, and we see the privilege and the love and the mercy and the joy that we have in this life, we begin to desire in our hearts to do that because it is good for us. And we see the deception of the sin that we think, which is good for a season, but we think it's good, but it's really leading us back to death. So we learn to obey and follow the head, follow the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what this is all about from the beginning Sin started. I keep repeating this because it's important to be repeated. Listen, also, somebody would say, why are you singing them songs that repeat themselves? Do you know the Bible, all it does is repeat the same theme over and over and over and over? It's the best, repetition is the best way to learn. You know, so man, what does man do? They take and they turn a simple gospel that repeats itself over and over about God and his love for his people where he would die for them. And then they complicate it. And then they turn around and do the same thing with their worship songs. And they make these big elaborate songs and they go, this is poetic. Or we're allowed to be poetic and make all these analogies. Just sing simple songs about Jesus and repeat them over and over because the Bible does that. It doesn't have to be some elaborate song that puts all of your intellect in it and completely hides the gospel. You're supposed to let your little light shine. Some of the simplest songs are the best worship songs ever because it tells the simple truth and it doesn't try to hide the light of God 
who shines into darkness. I don't mind singing the same thing over and over and over. Holy, holy, holy. That's repeating yourself, isn't it? So now we are. Mary means their rebellion. So their rebellion is there with Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. Rebellion is there with the salvation at the wedding. Listen to me. This is important stuff to know because it's all about marriage and family. Everything in there is about marriage and family. Why is there such an attack on truth? Why is there such an attack on marriage? Why is there such an attack on family? Why is there such an attack? It's an attack on God. It's called death culture. Did God really say that's what happened in the garden? Is marriage really about a man and a woman? Is, really about, is marriage really about fulfilling the first command to go and populate the earth and to train your children? Is marriage really about family? Yes, we're welcomed into the house of God. But the devil and his demons want to confuse it so much that we don't make it about marriage. As he says in uh, uh, Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word, that he might present her to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. That's what Jesus is doing. And then he says, I'm not talking about the man and woman. I'm talking about the church. It's a great mystery. But he reveals that. He uncovers it for us. So third day, because of the third day, because of the resurrection, there's going to be a wedding. Are you going to be there? And everybody else is, even Mary. And, and really, John never mentions Mary's name in this gospel. She's just the mother uh, of Jesus. Verse 2, now both Jesus and his disciples, disciples means learners, pupils, those that would follow him, uh, were invited, and, and, and in the King James it says, was called it means to bid to come forth, to call forth uh, to the wedding. And listen, the whole world is bid to come forth to the wedding. Everyone is invited. Whomsoever can come to that wedding. But you can only get there by being clothed in Christ. And the only way you can be clothed in Christ is you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And when you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you shall be saved. Listen to me. You got to do it God's way. You can't make up your own way. That's why we're going to see when we go there in a minute that, that who did he defeat? The great harlot was Babylon. It's confusion. It's a bunch of mixed stuff that doesn't make sense. Do you see it going on in our culture today? Everything is getting all mixed up, all confusion. Now, it already was, but this fourth kingdom is going to be worse than anything, and it's nothing but confusion, and it's meant that way on purpose to hypnotize you to, so that you will not follow truth. Don't get your eyes fixed on that stuff i think we should know where we're at but we're anchored to jesus we're betrothed to christ we know whose voice we're supposed to be listening to where we're supposed to be going who we're supposed to be following where our hope is but when you get caught up in all of this political jargon and all the stuff that the world is doing, your heart can be stolen away and now you get in call, involved in this physical battle that has nothing to do with a spiritual life. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. It's a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, we're putting on the armor of God. And the armor of God, when you look at every piece in Ephesians 6, is Christ's character and nature and will, his authority. It's everything about Christ. Every single piece of armor. 
We're not supposed to be putting on the wisdom of the world, arguing with the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, and demonic. When you answer people with the word of God, it pierces them. And now they've got to deal with real truth. They don't get just to have some relativism. They don't get to just go, well, I don't really like that. No, they meet the God of the universe, and they have to deal with saying yes or no to God. Not you. It's not about me. In fact, notice when you watch this and you see this, as we unfold this in in John chapter 2, the bride isn't even mentioned. The bridegroom's mentioned. He gets the credit. The, The bride isn't even mentioned. So, God's salvation is there, and those that are learning and following him are there. They were called to this wedding. Then what happened, Greg? Verse 3, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I see it in the church today. There's enough wine in the church today to start a drug or a, a bar. Everybody's running around whining and crying and complaining instead of, oh, is that a bad joke? We run around acting like weak and anemic, like God's not good enough to save us and to lead us out and to take care of us. And we whine about everything. We grumble and complain when the Bible says that we're not supposed to be grumbling and complaining. We're supposed to be shining as lights, do all things without grumbling and complaining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation where you shine as lights, shine as stars. We complain, and when you grumble and complain, if you go back to the Old Testament and you see they grumbled and complained against the leaders, they grumbled and complained about, we have nothing to eat here in the wilderness. They were talking about God. They were saying, you're not a good God. I don't believe you, God. You can't provide for me, God. You're not good. And it led to a heart of unbelief where they all fell dead in the wilderness. Because instead of godliness with contentment, they complained about all that their eyes seen. And they kept chasing the world instead of following and obeying their husband and understanding their place and their position and who they were in Christ and keep following no matter what because you can be content knowing that God's got you. No matter what it is, he's promised to get you safely across the finish line to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Safely. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. We can lose loved ones. But God uses death to bring others to salvation. He is redeeming while we whine and complain and grumble. He is still redeeming us. Even when we're faithless, he's faithful because he cannot deny himself. He's still going to complete the work he started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. Until he sees Jesus in our faces because we're married to him. Even when we're unfaithful. Because, see, it's a fruit of the Spirit anyway. They ran out of wine. The mother said to Jesus, looked at Jesus, look where, look, look at Mary. She knew where to look to. She knew where her help come from. She knew who to tell her problems. It's like today when something happens, you know what we do? We run to somebody else. We run to the bank. We run to the government. We run to the boss. We run instead of turning to Jesus and explaining to him what's going on. We're out of wine. Well, what's wine? It's fruit. It's, 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 the, it's the blood of grapes. It's, 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 it's what comes out of fruit. 
Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Wine really represents joy. It really represents uh, th this rest and peace and this life that we have in Christ. Where's your joy? Where's your peace? Where's your contentment? Where's your hope at? You know, it's interesting, Jesus does his first miracle at a wedding, and he turns water into wine. Moses does his first miracle, and he turns water into blood at the beginning of the law. See, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. One seventeen. we've seen that in the last chapter. It's interesting because these are all parallels. It's hidden deep inside here if we look at it, that we're in a transition period where, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the law, the law is the old covenant, the wine, the Old Testament, and it led to death, the spilling of blood, death. Or it was the pedagogus, and if you look at the law and you say, wow, it leads me to life because I can't keep it. I need a Savior. Now it leads me to Jesus. Well, what does Jesus lead us to? He gives his blood, his life, his death. He becomes sin and takes our curse and then gives us life, pours his spirit, gives us his righteousness into us. That should give us great joy. That should be the wine that we drink. Make no mistake, though, we're not supposed to be drinking wine. Jesus said, he said, I will not drink of the wine again until I see you in my kingdom. He made that clear statement. And they tried to give him some, some cheap wine and gall for his pain while he was hanging on the cross. And he refused it. What did they do? Same thing, the reed. They took the reed and handed it to him. Same word. They tried to hand him something for his pain, and he was taking the cup. He was drinking the cup, full cup, of the curse that was upon us. I think I'm going to wait till I get there at the wedding supper of the Lamb before I drink of it, too. And don't, don't, don't be confused. There's different kinds of wine in the Bible, and they weren't as intoxicating as today. Today, they're very intoxicating. They weren't the same, but there was drunks. There was people. We'll see that when we do Titus on the island of Crete. There's a lot of drunk people. But this is not what this is about. This is a spiritual ceremony of marriage where people were celebrating. They were having great joy. They were, they were in joy in this. And usually a wedding was everybody came. It, it, was, considered, it was considered to be uh, uh, um, well, a cultural faux pas. You was, you, you, was, you, was, you was actually rejecting them if you didn't come to their wedding. You didn't have to really do nothing. You, everybody just come to the wedding. It was a celebration. Little bitty towns, everybody knew that, that they were getting married and they would come and they would celebrate with them. And then it was total embarrassment for the family if you ran out of wine, if you ran out of refreshments. Listen, my God will supply for all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You are not going to run out. You may be out of something and him want you to go through that and humble you, but you're not going to run out of all your needs being met. He's going to meet your needs. But he might take you through some fire. But notice, Mary knew where to go. 
Mary's looking forward to this day, if you really think about it. Probably all of these 30 years of Jesus, she's been accused of having sex outside of marriage. All of these 30 years, she said, oh, it's of the Holy Spirit, and they've laughed at her. She's lived this way, and now she's ready for his ministry to take off. So she's, hey, son, Jesus, they have no wine. And there's a celebration going on, big embarrassment. And so many of the commentators believe that potentially uh, Jesus and Mary were related to this family. I don't know that. It's not in the text. I do know that Joseph is not here. So where would she look to? The oldest son. Jesus is her oldest son. We're going to see in the very next uh, section in, in uh, 2.12 that he had brothers and sisters. He wasn't a perpetual or she wasn't a perpetual virgin. She had other kids with Joseph. Verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Again, the word concern is not there. It says in the King James, What I have to do with thee? What do I have to do with thee? We're out of, they're out of wine. What do I have to do with you? Woman, it was a woman was like maybe saying ma'am today. So he's he's kind of separating himself from her being mom because he's becoming a teacher. He's becoming a rabbi. He's becoming a leader. He's actually becoming the Messiah, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Woman was not rude then. When I first got saved, I used to play with that, and I would say, woman, with my wife through the church. And she said, you stop yelling woman through the church. And I said, yes, ma'am. I'll stop yelling it. And it went on for a little bit, but she corrected me pretty quick. And so it's not the same because you're going to see in chapter 19 of John that while Jesus is hanging on the cross, the disciple whom God loved, John is there and he says, woman, John, John, woman. And he gives his mother to John to take care of her. And, and, and so he takes care of Mary and she's there in the upper room in Acts when the church is birthed and, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. See, this is all painting a picture of his humanity. And then you're going to see his first miracle. You're going to see his deity. And notice that when he starts to speak, watch this. This is so amazing. Listen, he doesn't have to touch anything. He just speaks. And out of nothing, just like he did in the beginning, he, his, this is the beginning of his ministry. He spoke, Bera ex Genesis 1.1. And created out of nothing. And he still is today. If you will trust him and believe him, he loves you. He knows where you're at. But your life is not going to be devoid of pain and hardship and death and suffering because it rains and shines on the just and the unjust. And he wants your witness and your testimony of going through it as he speaks that you know where you're anchored to. You know where your help comes from. We don't grieve the same way. We don't act the same way. We don't live the same way as people who do not know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you can live altogether differently because you know you're married, betrothed to Christ, and he's going to provide perfectly. And when you're, when you're handed over at the wedding supper of the Lamb and introduced, you're going to be spotless and clean without wrinkle or any such thing. You're, going to, you're, going to, you're being betrothed as a spotless virgin who's never sinned, never committed idolatry. That's, 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 that's astounding to me because I was chief of sinners. What does that have to do with me? My hour is not yet coming. What's his hour? His death, burial, his resurrection. 
His hour, he came for this. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But don't forget, we're in a transition period. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Remember that? Remember that word from 1 John? Here it is again. I don't know how to pronounce it, poia or something. It's the practice. It's the word that we had for practice. He who practices sin, practices righteousness. What are you doing? But notice what his mother says. There's, there, she knows that he is going to obey and honor and obey. If you read in Ephesians 4, uh, honor and obey your father and your mother. Children, honor and obey your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That it may go well with you and you will live long in the land. You're supposed to honor your father and your mother. Is this a picture of what the Catholic Church would call that you pray to Mary and, and, and then, you, you know, she'll talk to Jesus? No. That's a bad exegesis of the text. Notice he said woman. He didn't say mom. He didn't say Mary. He separated himself. you got to come to Jesus through death, burial, and resurrection. You don't come through mom. You don't come through some other medium. You come straight to Jesus, and then you can get to the Father once you're married. That's the only way to go to heaven. That's the only way to get to the wedding supper. How do you do that, Greg? You're going to see at the end the word believe, pistio. You entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ. You believe and trust Him and follow Him through this wilderness. Follow Him through this and obey Him. And part of obeying is confessing when you're not. But notice what his mother said. Great, 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 great um, advice for us. The disciples. Is that the servants? Verse 5. His mother said to the servants. Listen. Their rebellion said to the servants. The, uh, the, the one who runs errands. It's an attendant. It's a waiter. It's a minister. Listen. You have to die to yourself. I'm just going to use them words a little bit. Your rebellion has to stop. And you become a servant if you're following and you're a disciple of Christ. And you begin to listen. Now, I don't know that the disciples and the servants are the same people. The disciples might be standing over there with their back against the wall just watching to see what Jesus is going to do. And then there's some servants that's at the wedding and their attendants waiting on the tables. That's what I believe. But still, she says to them, without any unbelief at all, Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Isn't that great advice? Whatever the voice of God says, whatever the word of God says, whatever Jesus says to do, do it. Practice it. That's how you're going to get to the wedding supper of the Lamb is by obeying, by following, by by coming after him. Anything that he says to do, He's sovereign. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Just anything? You don't have to know what the result is going to be. Faith is following the voice of God because you know he's true, because you know he's for you, because you know he loves you, because you know on the other side he's going to get you into the wedding supper. He's going to complete the work he started in you. That's a life of faith. You don't have to understand the word of God in order to know that your husbandman loves you and is never going to do anything that will keep you from getting to heaven. The Holy Spirit that he sent back to lead us, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, 
will always do what's right, never lead you into sin, never lead you into something that you're not supposed to go through. So you can, by faith, trust God, but you have to repent of the things that he says are sin. Don't do that. Might not be black and white in the Bible, but he might tell you that's not for you. That might be what they do, but I don't want you doing that. Whatever he says to you, do it. Are you listening for his voice? Are you learning the word of God? Are you finding out what the head of the church would say to you? Very good advice to whatever Jesus' voice says, whatever his word says, do it. Now, verse 6. Now there, were set, now there were set there six, number of men, water pots. Actually, it's a water jar, uh, a receptacle for a family's supply of water because we're being brought into a family. It's a vessel for holding water. There's six of them there, and they're made of stone. Now this would be a great, time to go back to peter if that was petros but it's not petros it's just a stone jar i was like oh my goodness because see we're supposed to be those vessels we represent those vessels and we have to come to jesus empty and they're sitting there according to the manner of what purification of the jews not even the law see we're talking about transition from old testament to new testament but man had made up their own little ordinances and their own traditions and they had purification according to the jews not according to the law Notice he did not say according to the law. So the Jews had made up their own little purification. This is how you wash. This is what you do. And you had to have a, a servant pour the water over your hands if you were dirty. The servants had to clean everything a specific way in order to make you clean. Listen, which was a lie. It wasn't the law. And you had to have running water pouring over you. That's why he mentions that, because that's something they had made up. But God's purification was according to the law. And you can go read that in the Old Testament. I'm not going to rehearse all the law. But it had nothing to do with water being poured over your hands and never touching anything else. And this is what man does. We're transitioning from law, right, to grace and truth, Jesus. But in the mention of that, you know, in the middle of that, there's always man and his religion of how he wants to do it. So the six pots, though, represent us. And it says, In the manner or the fashion of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. I know the words are different in the King James, but this is close enough because the point is not about uh, uh, how much is fitting in there, but the point was that they were empty. Listen. And you have to be empty. If you think in your heart that you come to Jesus and you've got something you can give to him, look what I can do, look what I've done, look at my PhD, look at my talents, look at my abilities. I see why those people are doing that, but look at me. No, 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 you're, you're coming to the wrong God. You're, you're playing your man's religion. You're making something up. You have to come as an empty vessel knowing that you have nothing to give in this relationship except for Death, dead to self, 
dead to anything that you have, and you give it all because you have to have all Jesus in you in order to become a new creation. You have to begin to get rid of you. If you can't turn it loose, ask him to help you turn it loose. That's why I hate it when when people come into the church and then we make them what they were already doing in the world. God gets no glory out of that. When you begin to do what you weren't doing and you don't have the qualifications, people see the gift of God that you've been giving and they see that it's from the Spirit of God. They see that it's a work of God and God is glorified. But if we keep doing the exact same thing we were always doing, being, and, and we live the exact same way except we stop cussing and hanging out with those who do. And we come to church and there's no difference. Are we really, did we really empty ourselves? Less of me and more of you. I must, or he must increase, but I must decrease everything. We're working on becoming empty vessels because nothing good dwells in death. There's no death in Christ. He is all life. And so we want to be empty vessels where he can pour his water in us, the Holy Spirit. And when it comes out, it's wine that brings joy. It's the fruit of the vine. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's what's left over after you smash down everything and you're crushed. Then you can take it out with a pitcher or with a ladle and you can hand it out to somebody else and be a witness and give them the fruit of the vine. You can give them the blood of Jesus, if you will. You can give them the new covenant. You can introduce them to that. But we have to be empty. We have to be empty. Some of the commentators make all this sense about those water pots were probably sitting over in the weeds and they were probably scratched and they were ugly. I don't know that. I know that I was scratched and I was ugly and I was beaten and I was broken. But am I empty? That's the important thing. It doesn't matter where you come from. When you come to Jesus as a bride, are you empty of self? Are you done with self? Do you see the reason you need a Savior? That's what the law was doing as it handed them off. And that's what we're doing is transitioning from the law who brought death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we have been put. And we can't keep the law. So we need grace and truth that comes through Jesus the Christ. And you have to come empty. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. How does that all happen? Six is the water pots. Watch it. Empty vessels. Seven is listening to his voice. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. They obeyed. Eight is new beginnings. Now draw it out. Watch the letters. Even when man puts numbers in this Bible, God uses them to perfection. Man is six, seven is hearing his voice and obeying, eight is dip it out and give it to others because now it's new life, now it's wine, now it's for joy, now it is for the celebrating at the wedding supper of the Lamb, it's ready to go. Don't want to argue about whether it was fermented or not, it has no bearing on this. Is your life changing? Are you dead to self? Are you empty of all your desires? That's the place we want to be. Yeah, we're not going to be doing that because we're doing this. Really? 
Are you focused on God or focused on chasing this world and still doing what you've always done? Are you going to keep doing it your way and think that it's going to get better? That's the way you did the last thing. That's the way you did the last time. That's the way it was at the other church. That's the way it was last week. That's the way it was in your rebellion as a child. It's got to change if you come to Jesus. There has to be a change because it's newness of life if the Spirit of God has come in. And if you keep addressing Jesus the way you've always addressed things, you will die. You will not make it to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm sorry. That's not the gospel. That's not newness. That's not faith. Watch the text. Six is the number of men, these stoned pots, because see that stone, where that word does come from is the stone tablets of the law. You remember Moses coming down with two tablets, two contracts, ten commandments on each one, signed by God and signed by man? Well, God didn't sign it. He didn't need to. He's God. But there was two tablets because there was two people involved, and there was a contract for each one of them. And God didn't even need to keep a copy with him. He put both of them in the covenant or in the ark because God doesn't need somebody to keep him faithful. He's always faithful. He's God. Listen to me, that's the same word for stone. And it's written, stone. And now you can have a new heart, a new life. If you listen to the voice of God. The Lord's salvation, Jehovah's salvation said to them, fill the water pots with water. Are you allowing the water, the Holy Spirit to control your life? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Listen, fill it, don't, don't, don't play around. Fill it to the brim. Ephesians 4 says, Be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit of promise, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're always supposed to be thinking about what, what next, Holy Spirit? Fill me, Holy Spirit. Use me, Holy Spirit. I don't want to be in the flesh, Holy Spirit. This is not going to go well if I'm in the flesh, Holy Spirit. It's a relationship that we're having, a love relationship with the God of the universe. The Father sent the Son. The Son died for us and sent back the Holy Spirit to lead us out of this world alive to a wedding. Are you ready to go or are you still being deceived by Babylon, by the great harlot, with everything all mixed up and I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want, because I said a prayer once. Now I'm in like Flynn. That's not the gospel. So Jesus tells them, they see the instruction, and what they do, they obeyed, and they filled them to the brim. They didn't stop halfway. Listen, what would happen if they stopped halfway? Less wine, less fruit. Notice Jesus is speaking. It's his voice. They're obeying. They get the privilege to be involved. And notice this. They're doing it by faith. They're just listening because they're looking for somebody to tell them how to live. They're looking for a teacher in life. They're looking for somebody who's a savior because they know they need one. And in a minute, they're going to go hand out this by faith. Think about that. You got to just go hand it out by faith. Wait a minute, we put it in there as water, and he just said, go hand it out. I can't go give water to a wedding ceremony. They're looking for wine. What do you mean, Jesus? They didn't ask him no questions. They didn't have to understand that he was God, and he spoke all the way through everything, and it became wine in them jugs. 
You don't have to understand that he's changing you from the inside out to go ladle it out and tell somebody else about Jesus. If you own this scripture and you have a relationship with him, it becomes yours. You're a child of God. You're betrothed to God. You're a kingdom kid. I mean, you're, you're there already. All you have to do is trust it by faith and go tell people. You don't have to sit around and figure out how to do it in your own intellect or your own strength because then you're not empty. Well, if I would have been raised in a different family, really? You think that would help you? Adam and Eve were in the perfect environment and listened to the wrong voice. The problem is you're hearing, not God. The problem is your heart, not God. Perfect environment, nothing had ever died. And you introduced one other voice and they followed it. The problem is us surrendering and being empty vessels, not the environment. Please don't listen to the lies of some confusion of some great harlot that just wants to tell you something that sounds good. They filled him to the brim. And then in the newness of life, verse 8, he said to them, and they say, they already put the water in. If you put the water in, oh, I'm going to hide in the church. It's fun in the church. It's fun to stay in my house. I don't have to tell somebody, do I? Now draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And what did they do? They did it. They took it by faith. Notice the obedience. They were not responsible to make it wine. They were not responsible for what they took to them. They were responsible being faithful to the voice of God and what he said to do, the instruction. And that's you and I. That's all we're responsible for, to obey. Teach them to obey. Draw it out by faith. By faith, I can trust his word. I can trust his command. I can trust in his work. I can trust him for my future. I can trust him to be present at the wedding supper of the Lamb and to make it across the finish line if I just listen. I was listening to this comedian last night. He said, he said I was doing my whole show, and this guy was sitting looking at the wall. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to look at the wall all night? And he goes, I'm blind. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, and that's the way we're supposed to live this life, really. I, I've told you guys over and over and over about the blind slalom skiers. They, 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 I mean, blind people should not be kept back from skiing. But what they did was they learned in the flats to listen to the voice of their instructor. In the flats, he would say, right, left, lean, and move. And they would learn in the flats. And it was life or death on the hill. If there's a tree coming and he said, left, you go left. You can't see the tree. And they would make it safely. And this is a true story. I mean, actually, there's blind skiers. If you listen to the instructor, you learn to articulate his voice and know the truth. And as soon as you hear it, I tell parents about it all the time, kids about it all the time. Listen, you don't want them to listen to your voice only when they're in the street in front of a car. You train them to listen to you when they're in the house. Then they don't embarrass you in the grocery store. Because they already know from the discipline of the house, from the youngest of age, even when you're reading to them in the womb. So they drawed some out. They took it to the master of the feast. Of course, the master of the feast is like what we would call a manager nowadays. It says governor of the feast in the King James. It's the governor. 
which is a word that we've lived down and made it only in certain people and one for each state. And we, we've got this American Christianity. We hear that word and we think it's only for the governor, but it's somebody who's managing something. The director of the entertainment is what it's called. So they take it to him. Verse 9, notice their faith, notice their obedience. Saved by faith through grace, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. They're not saved because they did the works. They were saved because they were obeying and following. That proved, that was the evidence. Same thing with Jesus. He's not Messiah because he got up. Because he got up, he's Messiah. Oh, did he say that backward? No, it's the evidence. It's the proof that he was already the Messiah. Our obedience and our getting up in the newness of life, us being empty vessels and working with God in sanctification is just evidence that we're truly saved. That's all it is. You want that evidence today. You want to be convicted today. You don't want to get to the throne room when the judge says, what did you do with Jesus? And you go, well, said a prayer. You just don't. I mean, I'm making light of it right now, but you don't want to get into eternity where there's no more chance it's appointed to man to die once and then comes the judgment and then you go, I was all mixed up. I was in confusion. Well, I warned you about that in my word. I sent messenger, messengers to you about that in, in, in your house, in your community, in your church. But you wanted to go on in your flesh and ignore me. When the master of the feast had tasted. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Psalms 34, 8. Have you tasted what grace and mercy is about? This new covenant in grace that comes through Jesus the Christ. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. Notice in the middle of all of that, there's this huge miracle going on. There's a miracle of some servants who poured water in. They just did it what they were told to do. And even when they knew it was water in there, they ladled it out and handed it to somebody as the blood of grapes, as wine, faithfully, without asking questions. And then they tasted it, and it actually was good wine. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't just good wine. Watch what happens. It wasn't just good wine. Did I already read this to you? Did you already see it? Have you ever studied it? It was made wine. Do you see that word? It was made wine. It means to become, to come into being. Jesus spoke it with his voice, and people were privileged by faith to follow it and to obey him, be involved in his kingdom work. Remember, Jesus said, hey, hey, put the sword away. I could call my, I could talk to my father. He sent legions of angels. This kingdom is, I mean, this is not my kingdom. If this was my kingdom, my servants would fight. My servants are called to be faithful and follow. They're not called to fight. They're called to be witnesses and to give testimony. They're not called to fight. Come on, we got to get in line with the gospel, not with America's culture. We need to get in line with what we're called to do as a witness. You ever go to, you ever watch courtroom or go to a courtroom and see the witness up there fighting? It ain't good. If you see the guy that was up there going, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, and you go, yep, and then he starts fighting, it always looks terrible. It always looks terrible when he's cross-examined, whether it's the lawyer or the prosecutor, and they're in a fight, a verbal fight, always looks bad, no matter who's watching. So if you're ever called to be a witness, be real nice, whether if you think that, well, that's the opposite side, that's the enemy, be real nice either way, because it'll be telltale that you are aggressive against whoever's, it's just, it's just a key to know in court. 
right? Just a key. We're not called to fight. We're called to stand ready to give out the gospel to anybody that will listen. We're called to go to all nations and make disciples, baptizing them, and that's identification. Remember, there's an introduction. There's an invitation. Then there's intimacy. There's never a fight. The battle's over. It was won on the cross. Are you out there fighting still? Listen, if people don't want to hear, stop fighting. The Lord's bomb person is not quarrelsome. Lightly salt them. If they want more, give them more. But if the spirit isn't working, you're just intellectually wrangling with people. You're just making them mad at you. In fact, you're just hardening their hearts. Because if they reject truth while you're giving it to them, it makes that ground harder to penetrate next time. That's why Jesus taught them in parables. He was given grace to even people that wasn't ready to hear it. He was given a story laid alongside spiritual truth or a testimony sometimes. Let's see, where are we at? Am I wearing you out yet? This is amazing stuff to me that we're at a wedding because we're getting ready for a wedding. Are you ready to be adorned for Christ? He tasted it, the water that was made wine, and he didn't know that it, where it came from. He had no idea, see? He didn't know who you'd been talking with. Remember the, uh, the Pharisees when they arrested John and, and, and Peter, and they, and they said the only thing they knew that they'd been hanging out with Jesus. This guy doesn't know where this wine came from. He doesn't know that, that, that five minutes ago Jesus said, pour water into those empty vessels. He doesn't know where the fruit came from, but you know, watch, it's exactly what he says. But the servants in italics who had drawn the water, they knew, they knew full well it wasn't them. If you're, if you're a man of God, a woman of God, and you're handing out the, the wine of God, the word of God, by the spirit of God, you better know full well it's not you, that you're just a vessel that is passing on the truth of God. Because we're supposed to be empty. There's nothing in us. And if you start hanging on to it thinking it's you and believe the press clippings, Jesus will leave the room. He will walk away. I don't mean he'll cast you in the outer darkness. He'll just let you sit there and stumble and stammer and, and uh, do whatever it is you do in your own strength until you wait for him. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Look, he called the bridegroom. Notice who he called. Notice who's going to get the credit for it. Notice who the head is in our analogy even when we get to heaven what happens we get crowns we get rewards what do we do we take them off our head and lay them at the feet of jesus and say uh-uh all i did was obeyed and i didn't even do that good i was trying to learn thank you for this amazing grace thank you for making me like you and the bridegroom gets all the credit that's why we're a patriarch society. I don't care what anybody says. Because at the end of all of this, we're spirits. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, skinny nor slave. It's spirits. But right now down here, God has given you a position. It might be a woman. It might be a man. It's not nothing else. There's only two. And he purposely put your spirit in a woman's body or a man's body. And you cannot change it unless you join death culture. You will only bring more harm to yourself. What you need to do is get in line with the will of God and be the person of God that you were called to be. Confess your sin and allow him to use you for his glory. Because you're a spirit that's going to go somewhere in eternity, either heaven or hell, wedding supper of the lamb or flaming fire. It's up to you.
You make the choice today. Don't believe the harlot. Don't believe Babylon. Don't believe the lie that's being sold out there today. Ask God for the truth. He'll tell you. He's not hiding. Verse 10. And he said to him, every man at the beginning, here's what this this, uh, uh, master of the feast is going to say. Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. Listen, what happens? Man's wisdom. Okay, let's get a few bottles of this good stuff. And when their taste buds are drunk and their taste buds are deadened because of this good stuff, then we'll introduce this uh, uh, Mad Dog 2020. We'll start giving them Mad Dog 2020. I know too much about it, right? (laughs) Then we'll give them the bad stuff because they ain't going to know anyway. They ain't going to matter anyway. They're going to already be a little loopy. And whatever they drink, they're just going to drink it. Listen, I'm not being mean. The law pointed to death. Grace and truth points to life. The law pointed and told you what the requirement was. But then you knew inside yourself you couldn't keep the law. So you had to have a Savior. So you go to Jesus, to grace and truth. And you desire that. You choose that. It's freely given. You can say I do or you can say no. But we've been able to partake in the good wine if you've chose Jesus. So by faith, they obeyed, they followed. It was tasted and seen that it was good. It was better than the old wine that they had been drinking because it was from God. And it says, this is the beginning of signs, miracles. Uh, Jesus did in Reed, uh, city of Reeds, place of Reeds, Cana of Galilee, the heathen circle, and manifested his honor, his glory, his praise, and his disciples believed him. They trusted in him even more and more. They already believed and were following him, but every time you see as you follow, as you obey, even when you don't understand, your faith grows. Faith grows. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it's hearing with the intent to obey. See, it's not, it's not double-minded like James says. Let that man that is double-minded toss like the waves of the sea. Not expect anything from God. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. What is it? I hear the word and I go, I don't like that. I'm going to look for another answer. That's double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is not, uh, man, I just can't get it done. See, that's a heart that's still trying to follow God. Double-minded is I'm going to listen to this, and if, if I don't like what God says and the counsel of the word of God says, If I don't understand it, I'm going to go do something else. And I'm going to trust something else. This is the first sign. It tells us something more. What does it tell us? That he's God. He didn't just do a miracle. He spoke. And people were privileged to be allowed by faith to follow and obey. And then be able to give it to others. And others taste and see. And these are witnesses of what Jesus is and who Jesus is. And how we should thus live because of Jesus. Now go over to Matthew 22. Oh, you thought I was finished? Not that early. Matthew 22. Got a couple things I want to read to you. I will not cover them completely because if I did, it would take more than one sermon maybe. 22.1, I just want you to see uh, a parable that Jesus gives. 
later. We're at the beginning of his ministry, but he continues to give us insights in what's going on. 22 verse 1 says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. This is God's grace, so that their hearts didn't harden. They can listen later and learn. The kingdom of heaven is like. Notice it's like. The word is there purposely to let us know that it's like. You don't have to strain at a gnat. A certain king who arranged or made is the word. The same word we had when he made the water and the wine. It's actually made. Arranged is not even there. Uh, that's New King James, bad lingo. It's made a marriage for his son. You guys with me? We're going to talk about a wedding again. He made a marriage for his son. Then what did he do, Greg? He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to call those who were supposed to be part of the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Notice it's the heart. Whomsoever comes, he will in no ways cast out. Everyone is invited to come to this wedding. Nobody at the wedding supper of the Lamb will be able to say, I didn't get an invitation. You can believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead anytime you want. He's the Savior of the world. They were not willing. It was their heart. For again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. How much is all? He's done everything he can. I'm not going to go to Isaiah where he said, I planted a vineyard and I put uh, 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 planted grapes and they were vintage. They were good. And what did they do? They brought forth wild fruit. Because they wouldn't listen. They was rebellious. They wouldn't come and do it his way. But they made light of it. This is what these are the actions that people do. They make light of it. Ah, yeah, not right now. I don't want to hear it. They make light of it and went their own way. They didn't, they didn't enter into following Jesus. Of course, this is the Old Testament saints. Once you get to this, you'll understand it. One to his own farm. I got stuff to do. Another to his own business. I'm busy. Six. Six, remember, number of man. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. See, that's death culture right there. Number of man, they want to kill everything. Seven, but when the king heard about it, he was furious. See, it's not over. Just because you kill everything, God's going to deal with them in judgment. He was furious. What did he do, Greg? He sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers, death culture, and burned up their city. You know what that is? That's the fire. So you can choose consuming fire today, or you can choose hellfire. He's going to make all things new. The heaven and the earth, it's going to burn them with fire and purify them. And he burned up their city. Eight. New beginning. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, still going on, Cain of Galilee, but those who were invited were not worthy. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. The nation of Israel, they, 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 they rejected him. They killed his prophets. They didn't come. But we still got a wedding to go to, so we got a new beginning, a new covenant. Verse 9, therefore, go into the highways. The mandate hasn't changed. We're supposed to be witnesses. As many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
Are you going out and witnessing and inviting people to taste and see that the Lord is good? Are you ladling out the fruit of the vine and, and giving it to people, the word of God? But when the king came to see the guest, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. There's no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. You have to do it his way. You have to be clothed in Christ. You have to go through it his way. You can't just do it your own religious way with your own works, make up your own plans and your own food pantries and just do whatever you want and say, we're following you, we fear you. It's led by the Spirit of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. He was speechless. He had no, he's sitting there without Christ. He wasn't clothed in Christ. He wasn't being sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the water. He was not putting on his garment. He was living his own life, his own way, and saying, here I am, ready for the wedding supper. 13, then the king said to the servants, those that have been following, those that have been obeying, those that have been following by faith with obedience, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you with me here on this? For many are called, but few are chosen. See, you're called. Everybody's called. But if you're chosen, you're following. If you have the Spirit, you're obeying. You're looking to do it God's way, not your own way. You can't just keep living life your own way and say, I'm going with God. It's not the new way. It's not the new covenant. It's not the new wine. Oh, let's go right over to 25. Matthew 25, 1. I'm almost done. 25 1 remember parable of the 10 virgins same same thing then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps it's this little light of mine my vessel i'm gonna let it shine and went out to meet the bridegroom are you preparing yourself now making ready to meet the bridegroom he's coming soon that's the next appointment we have we're being witnesses now about it now five of them were wise and five were foolish. The fool has said in his heart, no God. The wise say, just like Mary said, do what he says. And they did it. They obeyed. That's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear is obedience when you know. And, and that changes. It changes into a love relationship. It might start out with fear. I'm afraid that I'm going to get cast into hellfire. It might start out with fear. I don't want to be displeasing. But it turns into a love relationship where the two become one. That's what a marriage is. The two become one. When you say, I do, the two become one. A lot of people say they're married. But when the two are not one in that house, they are not married. They're living two separate, distinct lives. They are not married. That's why people say, I know Jesus. The question is, Matthew 7, does he know you? Because when two people are married, they begin to live for the same purpose. Jesus came and died for the salvation of souls, the ministry of reconciliation of souls. The bride should be involved in that, looking to be adorned, looking to follow and obey and be conformed into the image of the living God. That's what was happening in the garden before sin. Created in the image, the icon. Tap on me, you should get nothing but Jesus, nothing but wine, nothing but the Word of God. If it was an icon on your computer, you would expect it to pop up looking just like what you tapped on. Sorry. Um, 
Five of them were foolish. I know I'm not. It's again, listen, it's a parable. Don't go, my goodness, half the church is going to hell. That's not what the point is here. Verse 3, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil. Oil is the Holy Spirit, just like the water was in the vessels back here that they turned into wine. It takes the, the, it takes the Holy Spirit with the voice of God in order to be able to obey God and follow God and know the will of God. It's all part of our sanctification. Um, the foolish ones took no oil with them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, he's coming soon. They've been saying that forever. He's coming soon. You can tell by the culture, by the, by the government that's trying to lead, the fourth government, they all slumbered and slept. Listen, the church can slumber and sleep. Even with the Spirit of God, you can slumber and get caught up and sleep. What's going to happen today, though? If you've been asleep, awake you who sleep and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's what he says there in Ephesians 4. Christ will give us light. And at midnight, it'll happen in dark. It'll be real dark. Lawlessness will abound. A cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Trumpet. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Listen, it's time to arise. Trimming the lamp means to put in proper order, to adorn yourself. Don't get caught in the wedding supper of the Lamb and not have on Christ. You will be cast out of that wedding supper. Trim your, trim your lamps. Trim the wick. Clean it up. Get rid of the things that are sucker branches in your life. Let your light shine. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise, because they're wise, uh, said, No, God has no grandchildren. You have to go and get your own oil, uh, lest there not be enough for us. You have to have your own relationship. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, are you ready? Went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The others were busy buying stuff. The others were out still looking for, do I really want to trust God? Do I really want to have faith in him? Do I really want some of this oil? Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Same as Matthew 7, 21. And then, then here is the admonition to you and me. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Again, showing his humanity. Um, I didn't watch my time, so I don't know how much time I have. But if you go and look and read, this is your homework. It's, it's Revelation chapter 14. Go read 14. Um, 14, 8 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her harlotry, her fornication, her pornea. It's illicit sexual contact 
outside the marriage bed, but it's also idolatry, not listening to God's voice, but having Babylon let you mix everything up and you think you're okay and you're drinking of that wine instead of listening to the voice of God led by the Spirit of God doing the work of the God for the will of God and you will come underneath the wrath of God. It's coming soon. Daniel 7, I'll close. I'm going to just read it to you. I want you to see it in the closing of this. You can read Daniel 7 also, homework. The only thing I'm trying to do is let you know that God, through the prophets, has already foretold what's going on, and you don't have to be caught up in this down here. Be waiting to be caught up to the wedding supper of the Lamb because we are involved in a wedding, and we are being adorned for our groom. 723, thus he said, this is the vision that was closed up until the time, it's time, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. Other kingdoms didn't. Trample it and break it in pieces. It's going to devour the whole earth and trample it and break it into pieces so they can build it back better. The ten horns are ten kings who shall rise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. This is also in Revelation um, chapter 12. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. It's coming. Death culture is about you and me, about anybody that would be bold enough to speak truth and follow God, and shall intend to change times and laws, then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and a half times, three and a half years. But the court shall be seated. Uh-oh. And they shall take away his dominion, his power, to consume and destroy it forever. It's only going to be a limited time. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints... Of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's the only one that's going to last forever. And all dominions shall serve and obey Him. One day every knee will bow to the praise of His glory. This is the end of the account. And for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me. And my countenance changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Listen. Since you met Jesus, has your countenance changed? Since you heard the truth, has your life changed? Or did you just say a prayer and somebody told you you're in like Flynn and you jumped up and kicked your heels and said, cuckoo, can't get me now, Satan? Or have you become one who wants to follow your groom? Follow Christ. Go and learn to obey God. To get into the word prayer and fellowship and be adorned and ready, looking forward to his appearing. He's coming soon. He's coming real soon. Are you sleeping and slumbering? Do you have oil in your lamp? The Holy Spirit in your heart that is leading and guiding and directing your life? Is He perfecting you, washing and cleansing you? Where are you at today, saint? God has told us how we should thus live. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this first sign, this first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and we see our Lord and Savior, our King of Kings, as He speaks, they faithfully obey. They're privileged to be involved in this wedding. Wow. 
Lord, thank you that we're privileged to be involved in your kingdom, in your wedding, for your glory, for such a time as this. Help us to be faithful by the power of your spirit to go hand out the fruit of your vine, the fruit of your life, the fruit of your hour when you uh, died on a cross for the sins of the world and resurrected on the third day. Lord, we want to drink of this cup. And we know that we can't do it unless we're empty and full of you. So we pray, as John will say in the next chapter, that you would increase and we would decrease. For your glory, for your honor, for your praise, for your kingdom, for such a time as this. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. We hope you enjoyed part one of a two-part message. Please join us here next week for part two. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?